to show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of So You Like Horror and Off The Man's Podcast. So we're going to do kind of a cross-up thing here because we have a guest on the show today that actually has written a book, and it's in the realm of horror because it's called Holly Horror, and she also practices Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, where I train at, at Crazy 88. So... I'd like to welcome to the show, Miss Michelle Jabez Kapora. Thank you. Got it. Yes. <laughs> so, welcome to the show, thank and um, thank you for making the time to do this. Oh, man. Anytime. Uh, Gotta love podcasts. It, it's, I always say they're phone conversations that are being recorded that everyone else gets to listen to, because <laughs> that's what happens eventually. You just start talking like 20 minutes in, and you're like all over the place at that point so um but a a big part of having you here is to talk about your new book that came out yes indeed um holly horror so as we were discussing beforehand um just the reading process of this i tried reading i felt like i was studying for a test (laughs) so that's definitely not my intention So my wonderful wife, Sarah Beth here, she read it because she's the reader in the family. Like, I read comic books. Like, Oh, me too, man. You, Sandman. You, oh, see, <gasps> yeah. Well, I haven't read it, but I watched the. Oh, man. You got to read it. I will. Classic. I, so that's one that Bobby says he feels like a fraud as a fan. Because? Because he hasn't read it. Ah. And that's kind of the question everyone else is like, have you read Sandman? And he's like, ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he goes off like, like, little key points and just like changes the topic. See, I know. <laughs> oh man, that was foundational for me. High school, oh. went through those. Neil Gaiman is one of my absolute favorites. I started kind of well. I've always been like a you know flights and tights guy, whether it be <laughs> X Men, Spider Man. That is my husband all the way. Spider Man. I just had a guest on earlier. We were talking about comic books and talking about how superheroes use their secret identities and you know then their regular persona is that's where all like the mental health stuff Mm -hmm. is kind of there and then when they go into their suit it's hidden and i was like and he mentioned spider-man i was like yeah spider-man was big for me in high school like when i would get sad read some spider-man i was like okay i'm good and then if he went through some stuff i was like i'm going through that too yeah he's the most relatable superhero i agree i agree (laughs) i didn't really start venturing out into things like saying man the crow, even though the crow was like i want to say 90 maybe it was like yeah. late 80s early 90s i didn't start touching stuff like that until i got older and i felt like maybe i can understand this and i still didn't understand it <laughs> until i became an actual adult but but yeah that's that's usually my thing is like give me a comic book i'll read through it i'll read it a billion times if you give me a book with just words no pictures i'm like <laughs> All right. <laughs> Imagination. I got to use that thing again. But Sarah went through it and she's she's just telling me all these wonderful things. And I'm like, okay, I, I get it. I'm going to read it. I just have to read it. Listen, I appreciate so. that. That is a, is a, I mean, uh, you were talking about crossover. I mean, I feel like a lot of YA nowadays is crossover literature. A lot of YA is 
written predominantly for adults um, and and the upper echelons of YA, which is like 17, 18. But, you know, YA is supposed to be 12 to 18. And so this book was really trying to um, obviously get all of those adult readers as well, but appeal to the 12 to 15 range of readers who sometimes get a little left behind in that bridge between middle grade and true YA, which is, you know, have a lot, it has a lot more language and graphic uh, things and um, which not all parents are ready there for their 12 year olds to be exposed to. It's weird. Cause like, as I was reading, I was like, like, as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about if I'm a 12 year old reading this yeah. and you know, that's always something that I always think about when, we used to teach. We both taught preschool. Oh, yeah. And I always thought about teaching preschoolers. And then, like, there's a certain gap in, like, yeah. elementary where kind of it seems like everything's being covered and taught. But it's like it's almost kind of like a empty space. And then you get to middle school and in high school. And it's like, yeah, but you're learning everything in elementary, though. Like, well, the middle school is, is that bridge in a way. Like my daughter, my elder daughter is 12 and she read it and really she was the most important review that I got because she was exactly the kind of person I was writing for. So it, it it was difficult. Um, all of my other books that I had written before Holly horror are middle grade. So more eight to 12. And so this was a step up from that. And, and also, you know, like I said, you know, I wanted that universal appeal. So it's, it is tricky writing something that, appeals to a 12 to 15 year old, but also is entertaining and enjoyable to an adult. Uh, So hopefully it worked. (laughs) I'm optimistic in, in, in what you've done. Again, my wife read it here and she, she's like, when I would write like little things, not that she would like read them and like criticize them. Like, I think she found like, Oh, like comic script that I was writing. Mm -hmm. Like she had said, sometimes I was like, guess I won't be letting you look at my comics when I write them anymore. <laughs> that had been like forever ago. Yeah, it was. Well, it was back at grandma's. Oh, so, so it and, was and forever you, ago. Like, I think it was just sitting out because I, I, it was old for me even. It was from like high school because the uh, Firestorm post, uh, picture over there, that's Bobby, Adam and I. Right. So, you know, it was kind of stemming off of that. Off of that. Okay. And. I always think of like writing. It's like if, if I were to write something, I'm going to give it to her. And oh, yeah. Let her check it out because Pressure. Again, she's the reader <laughs> versus, versus me. I'm, I'm just like I'm a guy that I write tons of notes and ideals down and half the time they don't connect. But they're there. Yeah. It's just they may not piece together properly. So, yeah, my husband is my first reader. He reads along with with me as I write normally with my readers my mom my mom gets it too because she's she's a number one fan so um but with them I give it to them chapter by chapter as I go which I don't do that with anybody else so they can kind of help me along the way just pick up things that might not feel right or not be you know clear and then once the first draft is done then I have two fresh readers, two good friends of mine who will read it, who hadn't seen any of it before, and they read it all the way through. And then Adam and my mom will read it all the way through again. And like I find that you get a different 
uh, you get, get different commentary from someone who's familiar with the story and then sure. reading it all the way through as far as like continuity things um, versus somebody who's reading it fresh and you get that like totally fresh take on the story at large in a way that somebody who's seen it as it goes might not have. So I try to get all the different kinds of perspectives when I'm doing my drafts before it ends up going to the publisher. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> See, and that's one of my questions is like, you know, kind of the process of writing and, and going through that, you know, you know, proofreading and things like that. Because for me, in my thoughts, like, oh, I'll just type something out and like, here it goes. Like print, <laughs> right? That's good. No? Oh, like, I got to do it again. So, like, when you go through your writing process, like, as far as ideals or just, you know, where does that come how does that start off for you? You know, do you come up with the characters first or themes? Like, what's your process? Well, it's interesting. I, I mean, I started out in publishing. Uh, I worked for HarperCollins. Uh, and then uh, after that, I took a job working for this. It's called a book packager. I like to call it a fiction think tank because I feel like that really <laughs> encapsulates what it is better. Um these kinds of places exist everywhere. Um, it's like a group of people and you brainstorm ideas together and produce work and often like um, things like the Babysitter's Club um, were produced that way. Things like Nancy Drew um, was produced by a group of people and then different writers, not necessarily writers in the group, but you know, professional writers sure. will produce the work. And so that was like the most amazing training um, because one of the things that I struggled with when I was young, and I mean, I've always wanted to be an author from like the time I was like six years old, but at the beginning I really struggled because of the sort of emotional attachment to the things I was creating where that thing isn't just a story. It is my identity. It is my, like, sure. it defines me. And so if it isn't good, then I'm not good. And that like emotional connection to the work. And so it really got in the way. I mean, I would have the like writer's block and the struggle and I would look at something 200 times and then just hate it and throw it away and vow to never write again. And so that kind of turned me towards being an editor in, in a good way, but also in a negative way, because it was like, if you can't, you know, do, then do, I couldn't do it myself. So I wanted to, but I, but I loved it so much and I was good at it. So I thought, well, I'll be, I'll do this. I'll do this side of it. And actually doing that side of it created, you know, the skills that I needed to be better at writing. So I got really used to, over many, many years, producing just ideas. And I didn't feel like every idea had to be something that was so close to my heart. It was just like, let's just think of things. Let's just talk and, like, go through. And it was very freeing. And that eventually led me to doing some ghostwriting. And I can't say <laughs> the books yes. that I ghost wrote, but that was really freeing too because it was like the the world and and the characters to a certain degree were set. I didn't have to decide on those things, and so it was freeing because then it was just okay. What's the plot? How, what's the story? How do I you know create this? Uh, they were mysteries, and so it was like how do you make a mystery story? You know, that in itself, it's like very, um, it's, it, it's, I, I always say that writing books is kind of like 
being like building a table. It's like it's 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 not this nebulous magical thing. It is structure. It is systematic for me at least. It is. And so it was like a lot of studying like how do you build a mystery novel? Because it's not the same as how you'd build a horror novel or an adventure story or something that's more like a coming-of-age story. It's every type, you know, you share some of the different attributes of what makes a good story. But structurally, there's a lot of differences. And so I started to learn, like, okay, how do you craft these types of books? And then I I wrote two um, middle-grade historical novels, one based on actual history and one based in a historical setting. It was a made-up story, but it was, you know, needed to be historically accurate. And that was a whole other set of, like, skills. You know, how do you do all this research, make sure that the story is accurate, but at the same time make it really alive and interesting and not just, like, a bunch of facts, really, or, like, you know, making history seem exciting. So then when this project came along, it was obviously not a mystery, a little bit of a mystery, but, you know, a little bit of historical actually too, probably, but it was horror and horror was a whole other level of, you know, how does it work? You know, when you watch a horror movie, you know, you're, it's so visual, it's, it's the, the sounds, it's everything about it is there to make you feel this fear make you feel dread or whatever it is suspense and create that but how do you create that on the page and so there was a lot of a lot of reading uh, of the some of the best like my favorite bests um, Stephen King and uh, Shirley Jackson Neil Gaiman and trying to understand how to build suspense how to pace you know um, terror yeah. So that it's not too much, but not too little, you know. And it was, you know, kind of digging into what frightens me because it's really hard to write about something that you want to frighten other people if it's not something that frightens you. But yeah, I am definitely a, they say there's a plotters and pantsers. Pantsers are people who just sit down and just start writing. I think Stephen King is one of those, I believe, uh, where he just has it all in him and he just goes. And then there's sort of a, a lengthy revision process that comes after that. Sure. For me, I'm definitely a plotter. I, I think it, it comes out of my upbringing in, in um, my job and, and working as an editor of just like really focusing on structure and outlines and kind of building the skeleton, so to speak, and then putting all the guts in and, you know, like doing it one at a time. So I don't, I guess when you ask, do I start with the characters? I start with a pitch. That's kind of how I work. Just, you know, I, like I said, I've been brought up that way. So, you know, the pitch encapsulates the, the, the essence of the story. You know, you got your main character in the pitch. You have essentially the, the setup and then, you know, the promise of the premise, you know, it's like, what are you expecting from this book? And I start from there. And uh, basically just, I'll do a, you start with like a paragraph, and that paragraph becomes two pages of a synopsis of the whole book. 
and then that becomes a very rough chapter by chapter outline and that becomes a very a better chapter by chapter outline and then and then there goes the manuscript so it's 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 not very magical it very <laughs> it is just it is very uh it's a craft I, I do feel like there's some because even as I'm listening to you kind of go through the processes of it, I'm thinking like, damn, dude, that, that that's a superpower. I can't do that. <laughs> and I used to write, but it's like it was more like Stephen King. I just just Trust start writing stuff, and it's like, oh, we'll see where it goes. Well, I mean, that works for a lot of people. You know, everybody's mm-hmm. brains work differently, sure. and you know, it, it is a craft, but it is also an art, and you know. It's just whatever works for that person. And it took me a long time to figure out what worked for me. But well, now that I know, I stick to it. <laughs> I stick to it religiously. So for Holly Horror, yeah. how did that come about for you as far as the ideal? What inspired just the ideal Well, of it? interestingly, so I have a wonderful literary agent um, who's been... <laughs> just really helping me with my entire career from the beginning. And um, she actually received a query about this project. Holly Hobby, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the character. I picked that up. Yeah. (laughs) So Holly Hobby is this kind of classic character from the 70s and 80s. She was on Dolls, um, started out as, I believe, like a greeting card Mm -hmm. uh, drawing. Very sweet, young girl in a bonnet. Uh, very prairie pa- outfit yeah mm-hmm. pastoral um innocence kind of thing and for a lot of people that was part of their childhood at that time you know there was wallpaper and bedspreads and absolutely everything and um the people who own that character um they actually have a show right now uh i think it's on netflix called holly hobby and you know, kind of bringing those things back. And the show is is also very sweet for young people. It's modern times, but it has that same very heartfelt vibe. Um, but I think, you know, they saw what was happening with s- things, particularly like Riverdale um, and what they did with the Archie Comics brand, which, you know, again, was from the same, uh, you know, this, I guess, 60s, 70s, uh, Archie Comics. I mean, I read Archie Comics when I was yes. growing up. Um, so, <laughs> no, not you. No, no, I, oh, I, you I did. Yeah. yeah, I think that's. I started with some superhero books, and then when I yeah. started buying my own comics with my own money, I was like, huh, Archie. Okay. Archie. <laughs> yeah, it's Archie. nostalgic. It was still there in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I read them. I had tons of those books. And so they saw that Archie was given new life at River, <laughs> in the show Riverdale, which I absolutely loved. You know, really taking it in a more grown-up, uh, dark turn with the same world, the same characters, but, you know, taking something and, and changing it a little bit. It's also Sabrina, all those yeah. kind of very classic, vintage, beloved uh, characters. And so they wanted to do something similar with Holly Hobby. Um, they didn't want to go quite as dark as Riverdale, which is obviously... <laughs> quite adult and mature, but they wanted to do something um, ghostly with a Holly Hobby in a sort of New Englandy way because Holly Hobby is, has that sort of New England feel. And, and so they came to, to a lot of the agencies, I guess, with this 
this sort of pitch and we're working with this amazing guy, designer and concept creator named Benjamin Daw. And he had come up with the, the, the idea for Holly Horror and as a, as a kind of new brand, a new series. And um, they needed somebody to write it for them. Um, so when I came on to the scene, <laughs> you know, they had some artwork. They had that idea, you know, that I, that I mentioned and of a short pitch. And I mean, that was right up my alley. That's exactly what I'm used to doing. And so I took it and ran with it. And um, so uh, <laughs> it's funny. Some people have uh, read the book and been like, oh, my God, how can she use Holly Hobby? How is she allowed to do that? Well, <laughs> It is um, with the people who have the character, so I promise I'm not a criminal. <laughs> but yeah, like it, it, it was really fun because you know I understood that Holly Hobby, although maybe not as well known as something like Archie um, at this point, was still very well known by a lot of people, and I didn't. I really wanted to honor that legacy and not do anything that would upset people who have their beloved character. Uh, so, mm. <laughs> so that was important to me as I went through and I did want to give some like little Easter eggs for people who really were familiar with the character. Some of the names of things in there are callbacks to the true Holly Hobby history. So that's, that's how it happened is a unusual situation, but it's been really fun. Good. Yeah. When I was reading it, and I'm not myself familiar with Hobby, uh, Hobby, Hobby, Ho- Holly, yeah, Holly, Hobby, Holly, Hobby. <laughs> like, I'm like, I, I, like, I'm thinking about like Hobby Lobby right now. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but as I'm reading it, for some reason, it was clicking in my head. Like, yeah, Hobby, Holly. This seems, I don't. Maybe that's something that's not a thing, and I'm just thinking it's a thing. But a thing. now it makes sense. Yeah, it's like oh, even subconsciously, it kind of. Yeah. Um, takes an uptake. And, you know, when you look at, like you said, things like Riverdale mm-hmm. as, as the big example of an old project being brought to current life, yeah. you know, for a more mature age or a more modern age, I, I think that's, you know, we, we always kind of poke at Hollywood saying, oh, stop taking old stuff and, you know, making it for a new generation. They can get, you know, I know I've said this, they yeah. can get their own thing. But sometimes it is, you know, fun to, go back and grab something old and say, yeah, look, we have a better understanding of the world or when it comes to movies, we have better technology. We can make this look different. Now we can tell the story different. So I think it's cool. And not only that, it does tap into a new generation. Right. And it really connects them now. And it gets them curious about going back and saying, Oh, wait a minute. This was this. And this is, connected to that in some way yeah i mean there's just so much of that happening anyway i think that they were really smart with this idea because i mean even my daughter like i said she's 12 i mean like she listens to 80s music she knows all the words i don't like you know aha will come on my mix uh, in the car and she's like oh i love this song i'm like what (laughs) what do you mean (laughs) like you're not supposed to even know that the song exists you know it's like tears for fear she's like oh this is my favorite. <laughs> like, oh my God. You know, and like, you know, I'm wearing bell bottoms right now. And like, you know, it's, it's like, it's just, see, it's the perfect time. Mm-hmm. Um, because it isn't, the, it takes place in, in modern time. This is, yes. you know, but there's sort of a, 
a callback both to the 1980s in the book, mm-hmm. but also a callback to the 19th century, this pastoral age where, you know, the holly hobby type of style would have been happening. Because I, I really wanted it to be like to have a touchstone on current day and the 80s and the time of, you know, this holly hobby, you know, that it was calling back to. So the book has a little bit of a, a theme of history repeating itself, which is now that I think of it, kind of fitting for a yes. Holly Hobby reimagining story. Yeah. I, I can imagine that trying to juggle those, you know, time periods to mm-hmm. into the story in a way that fits. Yeah. Has to be a challenge just because I know for me I I would probably get stuck yeah. in one place for too long and then suddenly the story is about you know, the 1980s. Like, <laughs> like, what are you doing? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, they don't. It's not. They don't really time travel. No. Um, but it's just like, and, like and that's what I would do. I'd be yeah. like, you know, what, let's just make a time machine now. He Why likes not? the time travel stories. Listen, I love time travel stories. Yes. But it's more about like you know a lot of these ghost stories and things. You know, it really is about the house mm-hmm. and the house as its own character and. um in this case, you know, the house has seen, the house has been there for 150 plus years. And so the house is this repository for memory and the things that have happened within its walls. And so in that way, it contains the stories of the girl from 1850, the girl from 1980, and now the girl from the present day and how all three of those girls' lives intersect in this house so it you know i kind of tried to keep it and there is a sequel and so i got to you know (laughs) well yeah i'm not gonna leave you like that (laughs) it has to be i was like oh here i would never do that to my readers (laughs) when i pulled up the book well the first time i pulled it up because i think i saw it on your instagram something about your instagram a while back i was like okay yeah into a note check it out and then as it got closer, I was like, okay, let's go look for the book. Let's go pre-order. And it said number one. And I was like, oh, like a comic book. Mm. Okay. And I was like, am I ordering <laughs> a comic book? Like, because if I'm wearing a comic book, let's go. I mean, like, listen, if you want to encourage somebody to make this into a graphic novel, I mean, that actually guest. would work as a graphic novel. I okay. think it would. What no, I, I really think most it would be Most novels would. Be, but... I would also read through it a lot faster, too, because a good meat of a story is the way you use words to describe things, and it helps paint the picture in your head. So yeah. the way I paint the picture in my head is different than somebody else would. So everybody's perception of a story, even though you're following along the same journey, the way you visualize it is different. So when you finally get to see it on like screen or something like that, or in a picture, you're like, I saw it differently. Oh, yeah, that's how I saw it. Because yeah, they described it that way and they made it that way. So that's always a fun part of it. Yeah, that's a real challenge when they make things into movies and TV shows is if, if it's something that's beloved book series, you know, you, you're going you're gonna to make some people happy. You might make a lot of people mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they see it and they're like, that's not right. And then there's people like me that just want to cry. I'm like, oh, you ruined it. I think yeah. the only book that I read that I can think of that, I look at the book and I looked at the movie oh. and it kind of felt like, okay, I think that's, they, they got it, was the uh, Hunger Games. 
It was like, oh, okay, yeah, this that was feels good. like what I read. Yeah, it was very good. When I read The Exorcist, <laughs> not so much. Well, it wasn't that that different, but it was like it was like okay, some of these things about the scenery doesn't feel as the movie described it. And yeah. then when I read Carrie, Carrie's just a whole different thing in yeah. itself. But I mean, just creating that environment, creating that world, mm-hmm. and then now making it where myself as a reader can yeah. take a look. I'm like, oh, okay, I can envision a tree over there and they're sitting under a tree, you know, eating lunch. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, whereas, again, a writer like me, I'm just writing the dialogue. Like, so wh- where are they at when they're talking about this? <laughs> I don't know, cafeteria. It's because you're seeing it in, in comic form. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Whereas I'm a person who loves the descriptions. I like comic books. They get pictures. <laughs> and he gets mad at me because he'll get a comic book and I whip through. I'm like, all right, I'm done. He's just like, you got to look at the pictures. I'm like, I did. Like, <laughs> Photographic memory. Yeah, it's a different Ding. experience for sure. <laughs> out of curiosity, since this was a project that you were brought on to, yeah. how much freedom do you get to kind of like add your own stuff to it? Um, I mean, total. I mean, the, the whole story... Uh, like I said, when I when I came on, it was uh, a, sh- a pitch. Okay. So they gave me total freedom. I mean, there was some um, guidance, of course, mm-hmm. but plot wise, everything wise, it was it was all very cool. Yeah. How did you uh, figure to put in some of those? I noticed like the quotes from different children's stories and how you, you tie things in. And I was like, Oh, I like that. (laughs) That's just, people forget about those little tidbits and I'm like, Oh, those are juicy. (laughs) Well, that's, that's, that's the kind of books I like. And so like, you're going to write what you want to read. There it is. And I mean, um, you know, I did have a pretty academic upbringing, um, in children's literature at Holland's university. Shout out to Holland's university. (laughs) Um, Uh, the children's uh, literature program there is amazing. And so, you know, I did a lot of academic study of uh, all the classics. And my favorite, favorite book of all time, and the book that I studied deeply and wrote my thesis on is Alice in Wonderland. Uh, So I really like stories that are very deeply psychological. Mm-hmm. I like stories um, that kind of make you wonder about reality. Yes. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Haruki Murakami. He's a very, um, a very famous uh, Japanese literature uh, author. And um, his books are very, like, I remember reading one of the first ones that I read. Um, the Wind Up Bird Chronicle is one of uh, one of his famous books. And uh, we were living in New York at the time, and I finished the book and I put it down, and I was like, it was just like this supreme sense of unreality of like, is the world real? Am I dreaming? <laughs> what is life about? It's just like this very strange sense that you know, like, how do you? do that like and I am always been so uh, has such admiration for writers who can create that sense of strangeness Mm -hmm. just with words on a page you know where it feels like you're having some kind of psychoactive experience just reading it because you're just like wow and it's not that it's purely just confusing Mm -hmm. because yes you can just write a story that is confusing but 
No, using simple language and a linear story to just make people wonder about the like the foundations of reality. I just think that's amazing. And so when it came to writing horror, you know, I'm I love horror, but I'm very specific about the kind of horror that I enjoy. I am super squeamish. <laughs> um so like gore and things like that. I understand the appeal for people. I understand the like it, the like gross factor and the like terror factor and like the it's it's a thrill you know and all of that but I can't I can't deal with it um, so the horror that appeals to me is very psychological it's yeah. like I love Shutter Island I love which is I mean I don't know it's horror but it's also a thriller it it messes with you I, th- I think it's still. So we have this discussion on this podcast. I'm sure. So much. Because I'll bring up a movie and people are like, well, that's not really a horror. It's like, mm. it is if a it horror. it scares you, yes. isn't it horror? Yes. Like, well, we, when we're doing our episode on um, horror in the 90s, we mm. brought up The Good Son. And, you know, I've had some people reach out and say, The Good Son's not really a, a scary movie. Do you have kids? Yeah. <laughs> like, no? Okay. Well, mm-hmm. then for you, it isn't. There's but for many others? Yeah, different kinds of horror. Horror is oh, kind yeah. of an umbrella term for mm-hmm. a lot of different things. But, like, yeah, the brand of horror that really gets me isn't the gushers, you know, and yeah. the super no. violent. Um, though I understand everything, you know, has its uh, audience. But so when I had to write one myself, and I immediately went to that, like, psychological place and sort of <laughs> I, I got the call about this project as a go, which was obviously extremely exciting for me. As I was watching the credits of the final episode of The Haunting of Hill House, the Mike Flanagan yes. series, I had never seen it when it came out. Um, so, you know, this was 2022, I guess, or whatever it was. And, um, and so it was, it was really bizarre because I, I watched that show. That show was so foundational for me as like, this is perfect. Um, it was so psychological and it had all the one, most amazing elements of the uh, haunted house story. Oh, um, yeah. oh yeah. I mean, it, it's just, I can't say enough about that um, show. But so what it really made me think about going into plotting Holly Horror was the, the word haunted. Right. Because, right. you know, we're talking about a house. The house is haunted, um, meaning, you know, it's, it's, it's supernatural spirits are staying in there. They are not unfinished business and all of that, which is everybody knows. But what that show sort of, you know, made me think about was the other definition of haunted is just being haunted as a person by your past or by experience or memory. And those things being inexorably connected. Um, And that show did that so beautifully. I mean, that was just the whole family and how they were haunted by what happened in that house. It wasn't so much a ghost story. It was, but it was, it was like haunted by this thing that happened to all of them. Um, And so that really fed into Evie and, and the house and, Holly and all of how, how everything happens in the book. 
I, I noticed that because it was like everybody had their own, like you, you're centralized on Evie because she's the main character. Yeah. But as you're going through the chapters and the stories progressing, I saw a lot of like, okay, you know, it's really trying to hone in on her and separate her. But then you realize everybody's separated into their own thing. So in mm-hmm. the, there were moments with her younger brother that was like, ooh, is he dealing with certain things that we don't know of? Let's see if that comes up. Or like what is what is the dealing with mom and the sisters past with this house because they're not going to talk about it you know yeah. it's just like i was very into like how are the little pieces going to fit in because everybody has their own separate piece of the story yeah i was very just wanted to see how the web would weave itself into fitting together it was it this is definitely the kind of book that i would have soaked right up in middle school I mean, like <laughs> yoink. yeah yeah i mean like I, I i that's that's what i was trying to i wanted it to be really relatable and I wanted the characters no matter whether they were sort of antagonistic like you know the relationship with her mother is is not great the relationship with her brother isn't great either but that you understand where those characters are coming from you can sort of relate to them and it's not like oh this person is awful and you know because people aren't like that you know, uh, people have reasons for the way that they are. And um, I wanted every character, whether you liked them or not personally, to have a sort of a reason for why they are the way they are and that is understandable and that you can sort of um, pick, you know, who, who, you, who you really like. <laughs> I had a friend um, who's been so super supportive and she uh brought a sign to my book launch that said team aunt martha because that was <laughs> right. her favorite character um and you know that that's what i'm trying to do like i don't think any character should be a throwaway character obviously there's only so many uh pages you can write um and this book needed to be palatable for 12 to 15 year olds so not like 800 pages long but you know i wanted to i tried uh to give every character their moment to sort of show their true colors of like who they are which you did well oh thank you (laughs) thank you i I think again just kind of you know going back to the your ability your art your talent you know of being a writer you know just breaking down those characters and making it something where you know, you had your friend there saying team, you know, Aunt Martha, which <laughs> from what I read, like, yeah, like this, this is my kind of gal right here. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, to, you know, be able to write in a way where, you know, people can gravitate towards a character and kind of relate in some way and say, yeah. okay, like, I, I trust that character. I believe that character, even though, you know, as you're reading the story, it's like, eh, you know. Well, why still did they Evie. do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's not right. Yeah. I mean, the mother, um, it was funny because, you know, I, I obviously relate to the main character as most authors do. They write a main character, which is in, at least in some way, a facet of them. Um, and, but I really found myself pulling out bits of myself for the mom and like the mom is not portrayed in the best light for, for most of the story um, because that's how Evie perceives her and this is her story. But, you know, as a mom, uh, it was easier for me to tap into those, like 
things that moms do that maybe they're not the right thing to say. It's not the right thing to do. But moms, it's sometimes, you know, they're trying so hard or maybe they're having a difficult time and they don't know what the right thing to do is. And I wanted her to feel that way where it wasn't, she wasn't the perfect mom, but she's not bad mom either, you know? And, and I mean, I'm not the perfect mom and I'm not bad mom either. And so I really, I tried to give all of the characters that kind of complexity of like making mistakes, but mistakes that a lot of us make. Very, very much the case. You know, yeah. just no one's perfect. No. Um, and even, you know, with Evie being the main character, yeah, as the reader, you do kind of gravitate back to it, even as a reader, though you might favor another character more you know you still see it like you said with the mom you know she might say something and then as the reader you're like man what is her what what called up her butt today yeah why she got this attitude yeah yeah exactly no it was it was shown perfect from like a teenager's point of view of like not understanding where the mom's coming from but also at the same time you have to understand everybody has their own tunnel vision of what they're experiencing right and it's just the mom is going through things. She's yeah. trying to be positive to keep things up in a new town, but yet give her daughter space, but yet still be involved. Yeah. And she did care because she got her sister involved again to talk to her and trying to keep base of things. Cause she knew my child is not going to listen to me, but she <laughs> might listen to you. Yeah. So she cares, but she just has a lot going on herself. And then like, of course, because everybody's separate in their ways, but that's how these kind of stories go. They separate you mm-hmm. so they can really dig their claws into you for it. And yeah, and then that's when the things start to happen. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, um, on a more personal note, you know, when I was like reading things about horror that said like you have to write about things that scare you, and you know, I went through uh, a health crisis um, years ago, like when we first moved from New York to here, um, having to do with uh, thyroid autoimmune disease. And um, with a lot of people that have Hashimoto's, it can have an effect on your brain um, because it, your thyroid is an incredibly important part of your body. It regulates all of your hormones. And if something isn't right, I mean, I was diagnosed and I was medicated, but it was just not enough. And it isn't enough for a lot of women. It's uh, Men have it too. It is a predominantly affects uh, women, um, a disease that predominantly affects women. But um, it can have a lot of uh, emotional and mental effects. And I had no idea at the time. Mm. And, you know, I just thought I was a mom of young kids. We had just moved to a new place. It was stressful. So that's why I'm falling apart, right? Um, Makes sense. But yeah, but... I at some point realized that it was not right. There was something wrong and it wasn't just that I was stressed and it was really messing with my mind. And so there was this period of time where I didn't know that that was something that could happen. And yet I was experiencing these things. And it's not that people didn't believe me because, you know, my loved ones, they believed me, but they just had no idea how to help me. And So there was a time where there was that feeling of terrible isolation in my mind where I felt things that I knew were sort of not me. 
because when you're on, you know, when you have these kind of chemical imbalances that can come with something like Hashimoto's, it doesn't feel like you're yourself. And, um, it was hard to communicate that to people. It was hard to communicate that to doctors. And they were just like, Oh, you're just, you just have anxiety or <laughs> not that that's nothing, but I knew it was more than that. And I was right. You know, eventually I was right. And I did a bunch of different lifestyle changes that made me better. And I've been better ever since, but that was a feeling of terror that, you know, it was feeling alone in your mind and uh i wanted to try and and i think that it, uh, it it can feel that way for a lot of people not just with what i was dealing with but just with any kind of um mental illness or or feeling depressed or feeling anxious and and feeling like other people don't get it or don't understand and that you isolate yourself even surrounded by people who love you and so there was a little bit of that that i put in there Hopefully it, it translates, but, um, yeah. That, that is a uh, thing that, that spoke with someone previously about uh, they had Lyme disease. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they didn't know they had Lyme disease, mm. nor did the doctor. Mm. They diagnosed God. her with anything else but Lyme disease. Right. And finally, she spoke to a friend who had Lyme disease, and she told her symptoms. And she was like, yeah. That sounds like Lyme disease. Go oh. see this specific doctor. Yeah. And then, so, you know, the validation yeah. of knowing, like, oh, I yeah. know something's not right with me. And I know that you're telling me something and mm-hmm. it is not right. What you're telling me is inaccurate. And then when you get that validation, that's got to feel great. And, yeah. you know, even, you know, when you translate, it, you know, into a story with characters, too, and they're like, they're saying, like, why don't you believe me? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Like, oh, yeah. And then God. you question yourself a lot, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, especially if a doctor is telling you something, you think, um, well, they got to mm-hmm. know, right? They know. <laughs> well, that, that's most of our mindsets is like, what's the doctor? They, they went to school for this. They should know this. And then right. it turns out, and that's not to shoot down doctors and say they're dummies. No, no but you know, they look at something, they see it as like, okay, well it's probably this. And yeah, you know, they're, they're, Doing their best. Yeah. Well, not every doctor has a good bedside manner or is very good at actually listening to their patients and thinking maybe there is something else. So sometimes you have to really fight for yourself to get really heard. Yeah. Especially in female medicine. (laughs) It's it's true. I mean, like, (laughs) I already felt like I was going crazy. And so it wasn't that hard for somebody to make me feel like yes yes you are <laughs> you are you are going crazy like, like you know kind of on the edge i was like let's just go ahead and give her a little nudge <laughs> right there yeah and so like when uh you know i finally kind of changed my diet and and figured out a lot of these things like and i was it took a long time but i finally felt the difference of like wait a second this is me right mm-hmm. like now i feel like me and so then it was like, wow, you, you know, it, that was a huge eye-opening thing of like, you really need to trust your instincts. I mean, obviously yeah. you should listen to your doctors, but sometimes with some things, you have to go with your intuition. And, and if you're not getting the care that you think you need, you got to keep going, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, it can mean the difference 
uh, you know, of having a, a quality of life or, or not. Yeah. It, it kind of, as I'm like thinking about the trust in the doctor, you know, but also trust your instincts. It takes me back to think about Rosemary's baby <laughs> where, you know, they're telling her all these things. She's like, you know, something doesn't seem right. Yeah. It's like, no, no, it's, it's good. Everything's fine. All these people around me seem really, really weird. This seems odd. And it's yeah. like, no, 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 you're fine. You're perfectly fine. Everything's okay. You're just, you know what? Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe we're in a new city. You're tired. Maybe, you know, maybe you've been alone too much. You know, yeah. you're pregnant too, you know, so it's all these things. And it turns out, no, she was right. She yeah. was carrying I find the, the those, devil's baby. I find those to be like the scariest movies and shows. It's like when they dig into that. And like Shirley Jackson was famous for that sort of like taking the mundane and injecting this horrible, you know, this, this inhuman behavior into a mundane situation and it, the, the, the proximity of those things it makes it just so terrifying, like the lottery, you know, or it's like, here's all these nice people in this nice town. Oh, hey, Mr. Johnson, how are you? Oh, let's, who are we going to stone today? It's just like, oh my God. Oh, you know, it's, it just, it kind of reminds you how close, you know, civilized behavior is. It's just one step away from, you know, savagery, you know, Lord of the flies. Yeah, I mean, and that's scary. That, to me, like, it's it's a little more um, sinister kind of horror than something that's m- m- more in your face. Yeah. And that's more my, my style, I suppose. I always it feel works. like the <laughs> in-your-face horror is more of the jump scare, the yeah. shock and all, whereas the psychological, it, those are the things that keep you up at night. You know, you, you, know right. you go lay down and you start thinking. And I was like, wait, what if? Like, <laughs> like the, at one point before bed, I would sit up because she works night. So I'd go on TikTok and I'd listen to all these true crime things. Oh, my God. Why? And then I started thinking, it's like, <laughs> are the windows locked downstairs? Oh and downstairs, make sure like both latches are on. Like, okay. Huh. Ah, I still don't feel right. What's that noise? <laughs> and the neighbors, they, for some reason around midnight, there's like movement. They have dogs. Like, there's like a lot of movement. It sounds like it's over here. And it's like, okay, yeah. all right. I know it's just the neighbors, but maybe it's not. Yeah. Let me go ahead and just double check. Like, okay. Yeah, it just like wriggles into your psyche. Yeah. Whereas if, you know, you, I hear like a, a shattered glass, it's like, oh, it's go time. I know that's real. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, yeah. Like, where are the knives? Let's go. During your writing process, I feel like I did something weird to my mic because I sound funny now. How do you, you sound, sound now? You sound. You I sound, sound better now. Okay. I think I lowered it underneath me because I was leaning you down, were leaning thinking down. I was talking up, but really I was just talking down. Don't worry, I'm not going to try and choke you. You already told me you're unchokable. <laughs> Look, you don't. Need I'm to susceptible slouch. to wrist locks. <laughs> And reach across the table. <laughs> I had the most polite wrist lock thrown on me last week, and I didn't know. Polite. I felt like I was supposed to be mad, but he was so nice about it. I was like, why do I want to shake your hand and say thank you now? Thank you. After wrist locking me. Like, meanwhile, my old coach, he wrist locked me because that was something I was good at defending to because I was always scared. So mm. I just always rolled with my like this <laughs> tight, and he caught me slipping one day. 
my oh, arm no. was just sitting there. Oh God! He had me like in a Kimura position. I was like, I'm just defending the Kimura. You get, you, you're not getting it. He wrist locked me, and then after that, he just kept sending me DMs the rest of the week of like arms with the X-ray in its circle. Oh, like, hey, man. how's your wrist doing? That's like, harsh. <laughs> like the, like wrist locks will is a sure way to get me to not talk to you for a while. Those like, are they're pretty brutal. It's, it's disrespectful. <laughs> it's hurtful. Like, oh, you know anybody's gonna listen to this now? They're gonna do it to you next Saturday. It, well, well, one of my buddies, Wayne, he's constantly trying to wrist lock me, and I'm mm-hmm. looking. I was like, dude, knock it off. I'm not going for this on you. Don't go for it on me. It's like oh, I'm just trying. Like stop. Don't try. <laughs> Like, they got to nice do guy. something. They can't choke you. They can't wrist lock you. What do you want? Arm bar. Like, oh like, yeah, they go for it. Uh, you got to have variety. You got like flexible ankle weirdly. So <laughs> don't, you know, I had a purple belt go for the ankle lock the other day. Oh, yeah. And he's he's working. He's working. And I'm sitting there like knowing that my ankle's flexible. Like, wait, I should be, still be defending this. Like, don't just get comfortable because <laughs> I can't do it. Like, and he, he asked me, wait. Are we allowed to do hill hooks? Because he was he's new to the gym. Oh, I was like not in the gi. Not in the gi. Because as soon as he said that, I was like, "Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't have anything for you." So no, we can't do it in the gi. But now that I think about it, let me grab your lapel and pull myself closer. (laughs) Go ahead and get my ankle free now. But yeah, I mean that that's if there's any way you're gonna get me, armbar, kimura. Like my shoulders aren't flexible. Um. I mean, you might not choke me, but it's still obnoxious, and I'm not, like, if I get stuck, I can't go anywhere. I'm just going to, like, hmm, guess I should just tap. And that's when he starts, like, talking to you. Yeah, I sing. Sometimes you sing? I, I sing he when people are trying people to choke off. me. Like, I hum songs. Um, it's really a distraction for me because I know I'm in danger, so it's like I'm trying to, like, like okay, think. What, what are you singing? Anything that pops in Whitney his head. Houston. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Like, Whitney like Houston. I will always love you or well, no, like I'm your baby tonight. Whoa, um, <laughs> See, that is distracting. Uh, uh, Christina Aguilera, um, uh, the song from Mulan. Yeah. Um, what else do I do? <laughs> um, I, I started getting into Billie Eilish lately, even though I, I did a whole podcast trashing her. I'm like, you know what? Maybe oh, I do kind of trash like, Billie Eilish. I, I know now. Got some great <laughs> moody music. I, exactly. Once I started her, I was like, oh my she's, God, this, I, I love her music. She's but, on my Holly Horror soundtrack, my mental soundtrack. Like, like she, She's amazing. Mm. And I feel bad for the things I've said. <laughs> <laughs> so that podcast episode oh, no. has been wiped and re, oh. resubmitted. Oh. without the bad things <laughs> I, I can't say these things about her listen to this music this this is good music so she's some, wonderful sometimes i sing Billie eilish i'm just trying to like see i feel like if myself. i started to sing whitney houston while somebody was trying to choke me they would choke me way worse <laughs> <laughs> well, i would be out i would be unconscious i'm sure they're very annoyed at that point they're like we need to shut this guy up find his voice box just crush it and i'm like dude am i that Ezekiel bad you'll punch to the neck yeah like, <laughs> like dude i just want them to let go that's all and i'm hoping that singing they'll just want to like oh, you know what just let them go if if because usually when they let go i stop singing oh well, that's, that's that works there we go that's how we get out of that submission so, it's better than you know the age you know the old thing coaches always say well just don't get caught there it's, yeah, it's the best advice. Just don't do not do that. Yeah, a little okay. late. I'm here now. Sorry, coach. Yeah. Uh, 
during your um, process in, in writing and everything, what was the most stressful part for you? Most stressful part. If there was any stress. There may not have been. I mean, I definitely wanted it to be scary enough. Um, you know, in my, I'm, I'm like such a exhaustive researcher. Like I just do a lot of background research for everything. Um, you know, I've read a lot of, uh, reviews of other horror novels and I read, I read negative reviews and just to see what is it about any story and it didn't matter which book it was because every book ever has negative reviews about it no matter how amazing it is i wanted to know like what is it that people have problems with when it comes to horror novels and two things stood out one the main character was not likable and they did really really stupid things now i get that to a degree because you have to put your main character in situations or they put themselves in situations where scary <laughs> stuff happens. Yep. And, uh, you know, most horror movies, you know, you're screaming at the screen, like, don't go in there. What <laughs> why, are you doing? Why are y'all splitting up? Like, like don't no, do that. Right? Don't, don't pick that light. up. Like, <laughs> don't open the door. Exactly. Like, what are you doing? Right. Like, and that's part of the enjoyment is that, mm -hmm. you know, and they don't know. But there's a balance there because you, you don't want, you want your character to do the things because otherwise if they're like too smart and safe, then well, the scary stuff will never happen unless exactly. you entrap them. But you can't entrap them too much because you want your character to have agency. You want them to be moving forward on their own energy and not just being thrown around by, you know, the world or other characters because then they're weak and passive. So you have to have an active character who is likable, but who also does some maybe less than advisable things. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I was trying to, ba so that was something I learned of like, you know, balancing all those things out, sure. you know, where they're doing things that you are screaming at them, stop, don't. Oh my God. But at the same time, you understand why they would do that. It's not like they're doing something willfully ignorant and, <laughs> and like, you're like hating them and you're like, well, go ahead, um, you know, monster and just kill them because yeah. that would make me happy. Like, they deserve this. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't want that. That was, I was very aware of like, okay, I have to try and balance those things out. And then the second thing that people had problems with was it wasn't scary enough. And, you know, I, there's, um, there's a book called, I think it's called a story when it's about, um, I think it's Robert McKee. I believe I'm going to be mad if I'm wrong about that, but, uh, he, it's a book about, uh, screenwriting and part of the, discussion he talks about comedy and horror and i i don't want to speak incorrectly about what exactly he says but he kind of talks about them as being a little bit similar in a way because comedy and horror both in order to succeed need to elicit a very specific emotion 
out of the viewer or the reader, what have you. And, you know, unlike other things, you know, romance, adventure, you know, like there's a lot of emotions that come out of that. And, but with comedy, if you're not laughing, you didn't really like it, right? Like it was like, if you're just like, uh-huh, like that's it, you're like, yeah, it was okay. This is not great. It was okay. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah. Yeah. But, and same thing. And if you watch a horror movie and you don't jump out of your skin at least once, you're kind of like, yeah, it was all right. You know, like you want to have that, that feeling. That's what you're signing up for, right? And so I was, I was very cognizant of that also because this was for young people, right? So, um, I needed to find the correct level of horror for the audience, but to be satisfying. Um, and so that was tricky. That was true. Those two things sure. together, um, I was very cognizant of trying to um, make something that you, you, you like the character, you relate to the character despite their actions, <laughs> getting themselves into trouble, and you get a little freaked out. Um, not so freaked out that, you know, parents are going to send me angry letters, <laughs> but freaked out enough that you feel like, okay, very good. It's, scary story. <laughs> it's like thinking about <clears throat> in uh, 96 when Scream came out mm-hmm. and they talk about the horror tropes. Like, you know, the girl who runs upstairs when she should be running out to the front door and then Sidney yeah. does exactly that. It's like you make the character likable enough, but just silly <laughs> enough where because off instinct, go to your safe place. That's my bedroom. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So it makes sense. It's like, understandable. They're going to run there because that's where they feel safe. Whereas like. And also, you know, you just talk to the killer and you're standing outside <laughs> and it's like, oh, I think they could see me. And right. So it's like, well, don't run outside because they might be out there. Run up to your room. At least you're in a fortress. You're in your fort. Yeah. And you should be safe. So it makes sense. Even though you're screaming, you all just said don't run upstairs. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it makes sense, you know, when you're making a character that way. It's like you got to make them silly enough. And it's not even that they're being silly. It's just off general instinct because i think we would all do that like if someone's bursting into our home i'm not running down here to the basement no <laughs> like i don't want to die around these action figures that's just <laughs> not that's not cute you know but it's like i can go to my room it's like you know at the very least i can hop out the window you know right i, I can find something and turn it into a weapon i don't know that i can hit them with storm or Jean <laughs> gray I, I don't think that's going to scare my killer but you know, just the ideal of like, again, just instinctively what your character would do, because I guess the way it's written too, or the way you would read is like, well, would I do it that way? Like, Yeah. I mean, you also don't know how you would react in a situation of extreme stress and like something that is completely unexplainable. So I think you can give the characters a little bit of grace for like, this is a crazy thing that's happening to them. Maybe they do something a little crazy, but yeah. you can only take that so far True. before your, your readers or viewers are like, nah. <laughs> I do think that's where training jiu-jitsu kind of comes into play a little bit because when we are training, we are kind of put under stressful situations For sure. where we practice the art, practice the movements, but we're also kind of practicing being calm in a stressful situation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
I'm not saying anyone that practices, you know, jujitsu, if a killer is coming at you with a knife, <laughs> you're going to make the right decision. But there might be a moment where you're like, okay, I'm calm. Where in reality, it's like training and think about like being out at a bar. Okay, you get into a scenario there. It's like, okay, this is just like practice last week. No big deal. Somebody's coming at you with a knife. That's not something that you typically do all the time. Right. If Hopefully never. I hope that's not <laughs> something that you're never. doing for funsies. So, yeah, like you said, you don't know how someone's going to react under a stressful situation. Someone's running to your house with a knife. It's like, shit, run upstairs. Yeah. Like, run to my room and lock the door. Or it's like, or run out the house. Well, I think jujitsu also gives you a, like, really realistic feel of, like, what it is to battle another human being. I mean, it's yes. like... Some people you feel like, oh, well, I'd do this and I'd do that if this happened. It's like, well, actually go and spend time physically fighting another human being with all of your strength. And it's it's just like most people don't experience that ever in their lives unless, of course, it happens to them in a way that is very unpleasant. And then, you know, and so I, I think... It doesn't, uh, jujitsu for me, at least, it doesn't make me feel cocky of like, oh, I can go out there and whatever, do that. No, on the contrary, it makes me feel like, oh, well, I'm, (laughs) I know what this is. If there is a situation like this and I know I'm going to get out of there, I'm not going to get into that situation or I'm going to do whatever I can to escape from this and then get out of there because it's. It's it's um it's very eye opening, you know. That's, that's what I always tell my buddy. Like going to the bar, I don't like going to the bar. <clears throat> First off, it costs a lot of money. Number one, number two, the music's too loud. And the number music three, is too loud. Yeah, it's like <laughs> like I want to sit here and talk to my friends, and like all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, I'm hearing you know music just blaring, like I'm under the speaker. It's like, and you know, the third thing is there are a lot of jerks out there who. Yeah you know, just don't have control of their own egos. Mm -hmm. So they're out to make a problem for someone else. And for me, my mindset is like now, these days, especially, it's like, let's just leave. (laughs) (laughs) Let's avoid that situation. You know, where it's, you know, someone who doesn't know any better, like, oh, I'm going to go fight this guy. Yeah. Oh, there's lawsuits that can happen. You get (laughs) injured. You could could knock them down and kill them. There's all these bad things. Just... Get, you go to another bar, go to the pizza, pizza yeah. spot down the street, you know, grab a slice, be cool. You don't have to get into this. Whereas, you know, people who don't know. And another thing people don't factor in, cardio. Oh, like, man. People think, oh, I can take anyone. 20 seconds later. Like, you get my cardio is serious. Yeah. I mean, but that's kind of a thing with jujitsu cardio. You, you kind of know when to, you know, go and when not to. You know, like how to um, conserve your energy and and your breathing. Absolutely. That's part of me singing when I'm getting choked or attacked. I'm like, (laughs) they're they're working harder. I'm like, I'm thinking while I'm, you know, trying to think of the chorus for I'm your baby tonight. He's like, "Uh oh, wait a minute. I think I missed a beat there. Like, yeah. Like, well, no, he's choking me more. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's funny because I think people who, who don't do jujitsu, you know, have like a, an image of like, well, people who want to do that are naturally aggressive or, you know, (laughs) and it's funny because I think the people at the gym are the most chill people I know. 
Um, because there's no, you can't be aggressive after you do that for two and a half hours. You're just cool. Everything's cool. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so it's very humbling. Like, yeah. And yeah. And you can't have an ego. I mean, if you have an ego, you're, you're out after a week. I don't remember. <laughs> I went, I remember when I returned, I, I'd been back for a couple weeks at this point, but it was a holiday and there was a female brown belt there and you know, we're sparring. She and I pair up. She goes, all right, Dante, don't do anything crazy. And, and Coach Keith goes, what, Dante? Ah, he's one of the safest people to roll, which made me feel so good to hear. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, thank you. Glad, <laughs> I'm glad that you know that. But then we go into the roll, in which case she is on my back like a backpack. And I'm, <laughs> I'm actually terrified at this point because it's like, I don't know how to get this lady away from me. I just, I just want to square back up. And she's like, no, <laughs> like we're not doing that. And after something like that, like you are humbled. <laughs> it's oh, like, for sure. I just had a human on my back for six minutes <laughs> and there was nothing I can do. And I train. <laughs> there's yeah, yeah, nothing yeah. I can do. Like there's, there's no ego after that. You can't be aggressive after that. You can only really sit down and think, I got I to gotta figure that out. Yeah. And then you start talking to your teammates and everybody's cool about things. Like, whereas, you know, again, people who don't train, they just think like, oh, these guys just want to go and fight everybody. <laughs> I think most of us don't want to fight anyone. Most. There's some out there still. They're like, oh, I haven't trained in two months. A burglar breaks in. It's go time. It's like, <laughs> burglar breaks in. I'm probably not going to scream go time or cowabunga. <laughs> go time. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to go check on my daughter and lock us in that room and hopefully i don't know what she would have in there that could be used as a weapon stuffed animals but being being uh safe a safe person in the room to me is like a huge compliment because like if you're safe that doesn't mean you're easy it means you are in control yeah and that if you can't be in control if you don't at least know something (laughs) yeah so and hearing him say that did feel good because it was like, because there are times where I feel like, because I kind of fall back into the shadows. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm acknowledged or if, if people see me. And oh, they, they Coach him Keith say that. sees all. <laughs> yeah. Right. So much so that he called me out on something. I was like, how does he know? <laughs> like, like, why do you know that information? Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's like when you're done training, there's just this thing that comes over you where again you're just kind of relaxed you're kind of chill you're like you know what you want to learn from each other like hey can you go over this move with me and you don't get that with aggressive people you know you don't Mm -hmm. get that if the people are aggressive you know i don't know what it's like in a boxing gym because i don't want to get punched (laughs) but i imagine any of these sports these combat sports are fairly similar where you are learning something you have to kind of have a sense of care in order yeah, to absolutely to not hurt your partner yeah. and also not get hurt yourself because like i always say if you break your toys yeah if you, break you can't play with them anymore exactly so yeah or, as it was said as, a, as i was a kid if you keep hitting your friends and hurting them they don't want to be your friends so <laughs> true <clears throat> yeah i mean there's so i mean i i was sidelined for um a while. Um, I was still going, but I wasn't able to like train fully and I'm still working on the, the getting through two and a half hours of training. Um, but I had a back injury and so I would come 
and watch. And, you know, just watching it is a different experience than doing it. And I watched it. And after a while, I was just like, man, <laughs> we are crazy. Yeah. And, but, but in a way, but it's, it's beautiful because, you know, 99% of the time, nobody gets hurt. And yeah. it's such a incredible amount of trust in that room. You get hurt all the time. Not well, like not like injured. hurt, hurt. I get hurt, like hurt and injured. I'm sorry, are two different your, things. <laughs> your groin wasn't an injury. I mean, I'm back though. Your fingers aren't injured. You can't no, talk. Those aren't injuries. Those you are can't just talk to just two people out of. Yeah. Like, <sighs> he. I mean, he gets sports injuries before playing street football or something yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. just I'm used to it. Like, just yeah, like yeah. Oh, I mean, you're like, hurt again. I mean, cool. like serious injuries. Well, like back. That's yeah. that's something you don't mess with. I'm sorry, oh, I, I understand back injuries. Yeah, it's a it's not too bad. It's just um, a minor disc bulge. But <gasps> be careful with those. I, I have. Been. I got into a car accident <laughs> right before I turned 11, and I was told you're just going to be sore afterwards. So I never saw a doctor. Oh my god! And for years after that, my back would hurt on and off because it would get re-injured and heal, re-injured and heal. Yeah. And then um, by the time I turned 28, the bulge just went. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to have surgery to fix it. Oh my god, yeah. No, I mean, I uh, I've been doing a lot of weight training and mm-hmm. and therapy. I mean, I did all the stuff. All I did the all the things because I wanted to go back to jujitsu. And that's the thing about. I was talking to my husband about this the other day. Like, jujitsu is a it's a it's a high bar to maintain in your life. Um, but because it's a high bar. You know, when I got injured, and I mean, uh, back injuries happen to everybody. It's not like I, the only reason I got a back injury is because I was doing jujitsu. I mean, it can happen anytime. Um, but, you know, because I was so, you know, um, I, I really wanted to get back on the mat, I did everything humanly possible to take care of myself. I was like, all right, I'm going to go to therapy as much as they say, I'm going to do all the exercises. I'm going to start weight training. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to eat right. Blah, 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 blah. Well, if I wasn't doing jujitsu, I wouldn't have really been quite so ambitious about it because I'd be like, Oh, I feel okay. You know, it doesn't hurt that much. I'm fine. I'm just going to like rest and whatever. It's just a twinge. Yeah. But I was like, you know, on a mission. So, Yes, jujitsu is really, really hard on your body, but at the same time, it's like it keeps you at the level where, like, you want to keep doing it. Okay, well, you need to be really healthy. You need to be really strong. You need to be taking care of yourself. You need to get sleep. And it's like all those things are really good. Um, so, you know, <laughs> there, there are a few people I know who've gotten injuries and they've been told hey you got to do this 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 and that and they'll do this 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 and go back to the mat it's like yeah. hey you forgot the that yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah hey, i mean like out. for me i i couldn't make any mistakes you know oh, i'm yeah. i'm 42 i have you know these other health issues that will get worse if i'm super inflamed or super stressed you know so i was like i was cognizant of all that and i was like well i have to if i want to do jujitsu which i do then i have to do all these things i can't screw up because then well you know then jujitsu's not in my life anymore 
And so, you know, it's like I do as much as I can. I mean, there are, you know, limits to it. I I feel like as long as you can be on the mat in some capacity. Yeah. You know, you may not be able to go 100% or even 80%. But if you can get out there without further damaging yourself, then it's like, okay, it's a victory. Then there are some people like, I don't compete. It's just that maybe I'll get back to it again. Like I, I had a breakthrough on Saturday and I, there, oh. something happened. I was like, those are great. Like, Oh my goodness. Like, I, th- I think this is it. So, <laughs> so maybe I'll talk to, talk to a couple of people. Are oh, you saying that on the podcast? You're really digging yourself in there. Like I, I, I feel good. I was like, <laughs> that's good. Like I got wrist locked. But I feel good. Oh, everybody gets wrist locks sometimes. <laughs> super polite again. He, he did it. This was two weeks in a row. Polite is good. Really polite wrist lock. I'm still pissed. Like, here but you go. I wanted You're to welcome. hug him because afterward he's all smiles and he's super polite. And I'm like, why can't you just be a jerk about it so I can mm. feel validated my anger? Now I feel bad being mad. Mm. But, you well. feel like the character from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. Where he's talking to Aldous Snow. He's like, why are you so cool about yeah. all this, man? Yeah. yeah. That's how That's I felt. part of the psychological warfare. <laughs> I, he's getting into your head. Yeah. And I, I think he's just like, look, I, I can wrist lock <laughs> this guy every weekend now because <laughs> he thinks I'm the nice guy. You got to wrist lock him back. Like, meanwhile, he's probably outside kicking puppies. <laughs> like, I'm the worst human in the, on the planet, but oh, I'm going to smile at him after I wrist lock him. <laughs> I'm like, wow, he's such a nice guy. I trust him to the dog sit. Um, but. That's, um, you know, one thing that I see with like, you know, the competitors, it's go, 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 go. Yeah. And for me as a hobbyist, it's like, mm, like this doesn't feel right. I don't have to go, but I'll go. And the thing is for me, when I go, I can't just sit and watch. Like I try to sit and watch. Yeah. And it's like, I try to just go in and just drill. I just cannot do it. <laughs> it takes a lot of willpower not to jump in there sometimes. Even last week when I was like, um, after our Saturday class at Severna Park, we have a 30-minute open mat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got out the medicine ball, and I was just doing like a pressure drill with my shoulders, like just mm-hmm. kind of working around the ball. And I was trying to do this quietly in the corner mm-hmm. by myself. I was like, no one can see me. I'm good. <laughs> I'm invisible. <laughs> hiding behind the curtain no one can see me <laughs> and then i hear dante you good to roll <laughs> you like, want to go <laughs> you know i just look i was like you like yes like do you not yes, see that i'm doing something but yeah okay <laughs> and then you know i, I got manhandled and then i tried <laughs> to crawl back over to the ball start working my pressure again who needs a partner <sighs> hey man let's go let's go so like you know anyone who's able to have an injury and follow through with the rules <sighs> not going it's like you all are a stronger person than i am because i i know you know it's like w- when i injured my groin i was like okay i'll go back in and keith coach keith saw it like he he saw it Ugh. he saw me flip through the air <laughs> screaming oh, in pain god and he you know he was super calm I was like you gonna be okay? You all right? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm laying face down, and he's like, "Don't move." 
the course I start army they calls like drag you off the mat. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> eventually the came leg. over and pulled me. Perfect. But I started trying to army calls like stop moving. <laughs> and then I tried the roll, it was like, Don't move. And they pulled me out the way. Yeah. It was like you know, just ask me questions, surveying. It was like, sounds like it might be a strain, but you might want to get it looked at by mm-hmm. a doctor. Yeah. I was in this weird insurance limbo changing job. So I was like, that's when I was like, yeah, it's going to be a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, so I come back two weeks later. It's like, did you get uh, checked out? It was like, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm just here to drill today. He was yeah. like, okay. Okay. I wasn't there to drill. Oh, come on, Dante. I, I did not drill. Well, I did drill. And then and I then tried. You- <laughs> I tried to roll with with Baird. Like wait, wait, wait with Baird. Wrong person to roll with. <laughs> Glutton for punishment, um, isn't he? Oh. But you know, it's like I wasn't trying to hold him in my guard. I was just like, just open that guard and let him go. I was like, okay, oh, and man. he's passed, and now I'm stuck. He's the best. But yeah, he. That's another one. He's such a sweet guy, and it's like, but you know, from the outside looking in, it's like if you're looking at our class and you're looking at him roll, it's like that is a mean human, but he's no, a sweetheart. He's a sweetheart. He's a gladiator. He's also a friendly wrist locker. <laughs> like, he wrist locks me from Listen, every angle in such a nice way. And he I'm like, loves jujitsu. He just loves it. Yeah. I mean and I always say about um our gym, just as a whole, it's like everyone that I see, everyone that I encounter, it's like you can feel that that passion for jujitsu. Oh you yeah. Know, there's never anyone at at um at Crazy Eighty Eight that you're just like, I don't know about this person. <laughs> um, unless it's like a first week person. Yeah. And well you, those people get weeded out. Yeah. The culture is a very powerful thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Um I see I'm not sure how to steer back to the book now. We don't, I, we don't so need to deep into jujitsu. Well, you know, here we go. I can help you out. So jujitsu actually really Help me out as a writer. <laughs> that actually was a question that I was going to ask. Was like, you know, with you being a, you know, grappler, you know, how how did that um, kind of correlate to your writing? Well, for one thing, stamina. <laughs> um, my one of the, the guy that I mentioned earlier, Haruki Murakami, he recently wrote a book about um, being a novelist called. Um, a novelist as a profession or God, no, I'm mutilating the title, but um, he, he, it was a, it was a novel about, you know, his own life being a novelist. And one of the things that he says is how writing is physically difficult and people think, Oh, you're just sitting there tapping on a computer. How physically taxing could it be? But it's like, it is, it takes, an immense amount of energy to sit there and focus every day for hours and dig into this sort of subconscious, you know, place to write a story and create life out of nothing. Um, And so, and he said things like, you know, if you have a pain or if you have any kind of mental anguish or, or, or things going on in your body or your mind that are bothering you, you can't really focus in that way in order to get this done. It, it interrupts everything. I mean, of course it does. Um, and so being in kind of this really good condition and, and mentally and physically really helps. I mean, it's not absolutely necessary, of course, but it 
makes it so much easier. And it's true. I mean, like, jujitsu is so hard. It is so hard. I mean, it's so hard to even explain how hard it is because it's not just physically difficult. There's so much thought that you're putting into it every second of a roll. And even the drilling, just body mechanics. And you're not just doing that movement. You're trying to understand why you're doing that movement because all the movements are, are connected, you know, in some way. And so when you're moving your leg in this direction like why what is that doing what is the like physics of that movement that creates this unbalancing of your partner or creates this um you know turning of the person's body in a way that makes a submission it's not like anybody would just come to it and go oh yeah that makes sense no it's like it's it's a huge uh wealth of technique and philosophy and understanding that is you're thinking about it in these microseconds as you're moving around and using strength using balance and trying to plan for the next move you know they call it human chess except in chess you're sitting there thinking and you have time in jujitsu you have no time there's no time if you're thinking about thinking (laughs) you're already it's too late it's too late you've lost it that moment where you could have done that move is over. And so um, there's so much stamina involved. Um, and building the stamina at jiu-jitsu really helped with writing these books because, you know, it, it, the deadlines can be pretty intense. And you can't sacrifice quality because you need to get it done. I mean, like, I guess you could, but I don't want to. That's the same thing as drilling, though. If you drill lazy. Yeah, that you're not really doing anything, right? Like, maybe I'm producing words, but are they good? You know, like, are they good? Or am I going to wake up tomorrow and be like, I'm going to delete this entire section because what is it even? Um, And so that was a huge thing. And just being comfortable, like, when I used to, try to write books um, long, long ago um, before I was an editor and all that happened, I would obsess over like a paragraph. I would just stare at it. Is it good? Is it bad? And now, you know, I will write and not look back. Now I'm working from an outline, so it's not like I'm running blind, but I write and I don't really go back. I'll take notes as I go, if I put in something that, you know, necessitates a change in an earlier chapter, I'll make a note and say, like, when you're done, go back, add this, switch this, whatever it is. But I don't look back. Um, and it, part of that is, like, you know, being okay with not being perfect immediately. <laughs> because jujitsu, if you're, like, walking in the door and you're like, man... Uh, I need to be good at this immediately. Like I either am good at this or I'm not. It's going to be a hard time because, you know, I came in to doing jujitsu with literally no skill whatsoever at all. Like I'd never done a sport. I was a theater nerd. Like this was not me at all. Um, And so I was terrible. Like I think I had, I had the, the kind of passion of wanting to like, 
I don't know. I, th- 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 there was definitely stuff about it that appealed to me, but I was not athletic at all. I had no athletic skill. I had no grace. I didn't understand how to move my body. And so if I was like upset about that, if I was going to be like, oh my God, I'm not good at this. I should stop. Which of course I did say to myself hundreds of times, but I had people. We all do. <laughs> I, I luckily had, you know, coaches uh, and friends there who were like, no, this is normal. Everybody sucks at the beginning, except for the people who were just naturally talented walking in the door, which of course does happen. But, you know, they were like, just stay the course, just keep coming in, just keep training. Eventually it will change. And so with my writing, it really taught me to be like, look, do it and then go back and then make it better and then fix and then polish, but don't like get into your head about it so much so that it it stops you from doing the work, you know? So I don't have an ego with my writing and I definitely don't have an ego with jujitsu because man, it is not easy being the, you know, 40 year old tiny woman in the room. (laughs) Like if I had any ego, it was going to be uh, non-existent very early on. So, you know, I go there because I enjoy it. I always find the people who come in with no athletic background interesting because those are the ones that either you're going to you're going to stick with it and fight through <laughs> yeah or, or not I had a guy right before covid and coach always asked me to work with new people coming in yeah. which I took as an honor yeah absolutely I was like oh absolutely you know and I was one of the kids' coaches, too. So I was oh, like, okay. Wow. So I'm going to go ahead. I got this. I'm going to teach this guy how to fall. I'm going to teach this guy, you know, how to figure out shrimping, all these things, understanding tapping, when mm-hmm. to tap. Yes. And, you know, talking with the guy, he was like, yeah, like I've never played a sport ever in my life. I think it was 35, 36. Yeah. It's like I've never done anything athletic. Um, you know, I got to asking, you know, why are you doing jujitsu? There's a situation where a friend got beat up. Oh my God. And he felt vulnerable. He was like, oh. I don't want to be vulnerable. I yeah. don't want to be that guy. It's like, well, you've come to the right place. <laughs> so working with them in each, you know, each class you come in, I saw this on YouTube and they said, do this instead of what you guys are doing. Oh like, no, that's a no, no. <laughs> like, okay. So when it came time to spar, I was like, go ahead and do what you learned on YouTube to me. Oh, weird. It's not working. <laughs> now let's work on the stuff that we're learning here. Do it that way. We'll, you know, maybe we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, he ended up not coming back. I think a big part of it was COVID because everything yeah, shut down. But I don't think he was really enjoying it after mm-hmm. after a certain amount of time. I think he, I think he felt like you know he's just he's on an exercise bike pedaling and, and not going anywhere. Yeah, it's like okay, well, and, and that's the thing. It's like. You can come in. I, mean, I I came in as an athlete, and even I got to a point where I was like, I don't know if I should do this anymore because I got choked out with my own T-shirt, and I I started second guessing myself. I was like, dude, that dude just choked me with my own shirt, like, and not even this part. <laughs> he pulled the bottom of my shirt up and you know did a cross choke, and I was like, oh nice. I was like, I don't like <laughs> this, like, and you know, I was like, but wait a minute. I mean, you know, when you started playing all the other sports, there's no different. You sucked. Yeah. You had to figure out, okay, he did that to you. 
don't let it happen again. And that's where I started realizing, wait a minute, like if I shrug my shoulders, these cats can't get under my chin. They can't choke me. Oh my God. Like it works. I get this. But um, like jujitsu does connect to everything outside, you know, for us, you know, how it connects to you as a writer, how it, you know, connects for me as a podcaster, you know, I, I, you know, had tons of episodes where I'm just like, oh, my God, that was not a good episode. <laughs> like, I don't know if I want to put that out. And it's like, well, you got to put it out because it's part of the process. It's part of the thing yeah. that show people like, look, for, like there are some guys I think it's like jujitsu dummies. Maybe I remember hearing them talk about they for the first year, they didn't do an episode. They just promoted they're like jujitsu dummies, all the promo. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, our suggestion to people is don't do a podcast. I tell everybody to do a podcast. I'm like, dude, do it. You should do it. You're smart. You got it. You can do this. They're like, we tell everybody don't do a podcast because it's expensive. It's this, it's this. And then I was like, like, really? Because I just bought some cheap equipment and now it, like, you, you got to start. I mean, it's like yeah, telling someone start. don't start jujitsu until you're in good shape. Oh, no. Like, That's no. Yeah, you, jump start, in. What, you start when you need it. Yeah. I mean, if you wait if you say I'm going to start jujitsu when I think I'm ready, you'll never be ready. Never. So you may as well jump in, do it. it. You know, again, how it connects anything else. Oh, well, I'll start a podcast, you know, in a couple of years. I think I'll be ready and I'll have enough knowledge. No, you won't. You you never will. It's so not just what it's about. Jump in, do it now. If I say, oh, I'll write a book. Well, I'll write a book maybe in five years. I think I'll be ready in five <laughs> oh, years. Oh, I have heard that a lot. I have yes. heard that a lot. And, and even for me, there, there are times I get ideals. I'm like, I should write that down. I've got so many ideals. I got this one really weird idea. I'm like, oh, that's terrifying, though. So I don't know if I should do that. <laughs> like, it's not okay. But, you know, there, there's always the thought of just jumping in and doing it. But jumping in with some ideal. You don't just jump in blind. Yeah. Like, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> Start typing. It's like, those aren't even words. <laughs> I should learn. But, well, you know, I you, you got to do. Part of what, you know... Jiu-jitsu is like a big part of my story as a person and what it did for me. Um, but I think part of the reason that I I still go and, and love it so much is the, the story part of it. Because everybody walks in to jiu-jitsu for a different reason. It's not like why you would go and, you know, go do a yoga class or go do a spinning or you know those are all great things for your health but jujitsu is some like I, I feel like the people that come and stay there's something there's something in their story that they are trying to write by being there because you are just grinding you're like getting so deep into your own like psyche and dealing with your weaknesses and dealing with your just feelings about yourself. I mean, it, you are fighting the other person, but you're also most of the time fighting yourself. Yes. And I've just seen so many stories being written of the people that are at the gym with me. And it's just so engaging for me as a storyteller to just, you know, watch them grow and watch and go, you know, and it's, it's very um, traumatic, you know, because like, you know, people will get injured or they'll have some thing happen. And it's like, 
seeing them fight back from that and and to have victory on like the world stage or it's just it's so emotionally um gratifying and you know and we're all so close and it's just you know (laughs) you spend eight months doing physical therapy and whatever it is to be back there with them and to be not just sitting on the side but be with them yeah you can sit on the side and watch and it's just not the same yeah but you know coach keith says uh, you should do it even if you can't be on the mat you have to be there yeah just show up and at the very least take notes yes i am a note taker something not that anyone can read them but me but you know (laughs) i normally have decent handwriting but when i'm writing my notes in my book it is yeah. For my eyes only because can't nobody read whatever I wrote. Yeah, it's a bunch of triangles and arrows and mm-hmm. <laughs> they, uh yeah, this weekend was a uh, Masters Worlds. Yes. Uh, Brandon Epps went out Big there. Congrats to Brandon. Got his brown belt, became world champion. Super, super proud of that dude. Oh my god. Like when I saw I saw the post last night and I was, I was like, dude, I want to hug him right now. I know. <laughs> like I know. so. Um, even though this will come out a little later, but still, congrats to Brandon Epps. If you do hear this, I'm trying to. Get I'm going to make him listen. I've been trying to get him on the podcast. It's just oh, maybe he'll time. do it now that he's brown belt. Well, I definitely want to get him on. <laughs> well, because one of the things he said to me recently, because he came in, I think, well, his kids were training, and then um, you know he'd be there at the gym that he started training because he was training before. I want to say in San Diego, I believe, mm-hmm. out west. Yeah. At least out west, I believe it was San Diego, but um, and I got my blue belt, and I think two months later he got his blue belt. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like then it became kind of this like we're we're pacing each other now. <laughs> then he got his purple belt. I was like, bye. <laughs> I was like, see you later, buddy. You, He's on the fast track. Purple, and then he said to me, um, back in March, he goes, "Come on, Dante, you gotta get your purple belt before I get my brown belt." That's why I got his brown belt last night. I was like. Tracks. <laughs> like i'm glad i didn't bet him any money because i'd owe him five dollars <laughs> i don't bet above five but super proud of that dude and just like you mentioned the world stage and you know people's stories I'd, i i want to have him on and i want to hear his story oh, although he will talk mark mark has told me he's like you gotta be careful with having him on and tell his story he's super entertaining so, but um, either way it goes, it, it's it's all interconnected. It's all exciting. And, um, you know, I think jiu-jitsu is that thing that has really shaped me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Just with, you know, how I continue on with things, how I process things. So, you know, jiu-jitsu is there. Y'all got to do it. Anybody listen to the horror <laughs> portion of this, y'all got to try some jiu-jitsu. Anybody that's listened to this from Off the Mats... Y'all probably already do it. Actually, I have a lot of friends who listen who don't do jiu-jitsu. Y'all should try it. They should read the book as well. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely going to get some links in there and uh, promote. Uh, before we get out of here, I know there's going to be a follow-up. And oh, yes. not trying to spoil anything from here. Mm-hmm. Can you give us kind of a ideal or a hint of anything for the follow-up? Like time travel parallel worlds um i will give you two words christmas horror (gasps) (laughs) uh, (laughs) love to hear it yes 
Yes. Actually, like so like, we're now still I'm following like, a timeline with everybody. Oh yeah, because this is right. taking place. You know, the homecoming. Yeah. So times. this is like, like end of October. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. There it is. Exciting. It. There it is. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it, Joe. There you have it. So, um, Michelle, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Uh, I, like, I'm always, whenever it comes to doing uh, episodes with a new guest, I'm always nervous because it's like, all right, I try to tell people, go listen to two episodes so you know what you're getting into. And I have some people who don't listen to episodes, so then they come in and they have this one idea. I'm like... Hey, so I say bad words a lot. <laughs> so, this is going to be a David Goggins episode. Like, get ready. And then the first time they hear me drop the F-bomb, they're like, oh, my God. Like, can I do that? Like, yes, please. Like, it's weird if you don't. It's not censored. We're um, good. <laughs> cool, but, cool, cool. But anytime I have anyone new, especially from the gym, I'm always like, okay. Like, all right. Like, these are teammates. Like, but most people don't see Dante like like outside it's like Dante's usually the podcast the, Dante versus the jujitsu Dante yeah the brooding guy in the corner <laughs> trying to hide and do pressure drill exercises and they're like oh that guy make him roll whereas then we get out here and I was like oh this guy talks he won't shut up <laughs> um, so you know there was a bit of nerves coming into this and thank you for just sharing um you know, your experience with writing, sharing your jujitsu experience and just being an overall cool person. Like now Thank I don't you. feel like I feel like, oh, you know, got to have you back on to talk more jujitsu and, you know, definitely to follow up as well. For sure. Um, before we get out of here, any shout outs or mentions that you would like to drop? Oh, gosh. Shout outs or mentions. Um, I'm going to shout out my husband, Adam Corpra, for being a huge support. He's home right now um, with our girls. Um, I'm going to shout out my agent, Allison Helligers from Stimola Literary Studio, who is uh, my absolute um, best cheerleader, who's made all of this happen. And um, my editor, Gabby, at Penguin Workshop, who is absolutely fantastic and has also been an amazing cheerleader for Holly Horror. And all of the Holly hobby um, lovers, uh, I promise... I won't hurt you, so please buy the book <laughs> and enjoy it with your yourselves and your 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 children. <laughs> and as always, to everyone, thank you. I want to give a big shout out here again to our guest, Miss Michelle. Thank you for doing this, and um, shout out to the first book in the series, Holly Horror, number one. Go check it out. As she said, and I'm saying it too. It's a good story as my wife would tell me. <laughs> um, if you all have any questions, concerns, criticisms, anything, always feel free to reach out. Since this is kind of a dual episode here, you can find me at So You Like Horror on Instagram. All the words are separated by underscores. Or you can find me at bjj.wiki on Instagram or Off The Mats Podcast on Instagram. Any of those platforms, you know, have any questions, concerns, want to be a guest, reach out to me there. I'm, I'm very approachable so don't be don't be scared um i want to give a big shout out to my my team over there at nerd rage radio bobby chris joe marilyn phil ricky tiki uh chucky o uh the the prince of wakanda evan uh all you cats see i'm starting to remember more names as we get through this further um 
without Nerve Rage Radio, I probably wouldn't be doing a podcast. I started with them, branched off, did my own thing, and here we are. So you have Nerve Rage Radio to thank for that or to curse, whichever way, however you feel. Um, also want to give a, another shout out here to both podcasts, Off the Mats and So You Like Horror. Uh, as we go through 2023, one of the things we've been doing is talk about horror through the decades. Uh, the most recent one was the uh, 2000s. And then the upcoming after this will be, uh, I guess, the 2010s. I guess you can call that. I don't know. But 2010 through 2019. So, and, you know, we just kind of go on like a little journey through horror per decade and talk about, you know, what's going on in the world that shaped those movies and, you know, just the anxieties and fears that we all had as viewers and all the joys and loves that we had, like the 80s, that I feel like is a little overrated. But that's just from the observations I just made over the past few months. But otherwise, go check that podcast out if you're not doing it already. Um, besides that, thank you, everyone. Thanks for all the support. We love you here. You guys keep listening. We're going to keep making these shows. Thank you, everyone. And bye. Sing. Now let me sing a song.